Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Let me pray. Lord, we ask that you would open up our ears to hear what you have to tell us in your word. Give us understanding. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you that we might love you more, that we might understand your love, what kind of God you are, and what kind of people you want us to be. Point us to your Son. Help us to come to you through him. We ask that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen us, increase our faith, convert the lost, that you might be glorified in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is God's Word. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. <clears throat> Amen. Today, we are beginning a new sermon series going through the Gospel of Luke. Like all the Gospel accounts, it is, above all, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke will trace the story of Jesus for us from his birth in Bethlehem in the first two chapters, his ministry in Galilee to chapter 9, his journey, long journey to Jerusalem uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan River all the way down to chapter 19, and then finally the culmination of his ministry in Jerusalem, his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, that we might be saved. And we, we ought to be very glad indeed that God has given us four different <clears throat> gospel accounts of the Lord, life and ministry of the Lord Jesus in the books of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And in this way, God directs our attention to Christ to show us this is the center of, of the Bible. This is the center of history. This is where our salvation is accomplished. This is the Son of God, and our Savior. <clears throat> now, these four gospel accounts, they all hold out the same Lord Jesus for us, but from slightly different perspectives. They are like... they as it were, hold up the Lord Jesus like a diamond, that we might see him from different angles, and we might appreciate uh, him more and understand our glorious Savior and better understand his heart. Now, who was Luke? Luke was not one of the twelve apostles like Matthew was or like John was. It's implied from the introduction that he might not even be an eyewitness because he's receiving this information about the Lord Jesus from eyewitnesses. 
He was probably a Gentile, since there are many places where he distinguishes himself from the Jews. He has a Greek name, and outside the Bible, early church testimony seems to agree that Luke was from Antioch. He was single all his life, and he lived until he was about 74 or 84. We can't be completely sure of any of that outside the Bible, of course. But what we do know for sure was that Luke is a historian, he is a doctor, and he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. In Luke wrote also the book of Acts, and several times in Acts, instead of saying, and they traveled from one place to another, he says, we traveled. And so without naming himself, we can see where Luke enters the story and how he was traveling with Paul. We also see it in Paul's letters. In Colossians, Paul calls him the beloved physician. Luke, the beloved physician. And in 2 Timothy, he writes, Luke alone is with me. So Luke probably got to spend a lot of time with Paul and the other apostles. While he wasn't an apostle, God specially gifted him and situated him in such a way that he would have plenty of time to hear the good news of Jesus Christ from eyewitnesses. That he would have uh, the time to investigate matters thoroughly from the beginning, find out the exact truth about everything about Christ, and set down this orderly account that we have here. Now, from the very beginning, the very first verse here, Luke shows us, tells us that there are many other accounts that have been made of Jesus Christ. And it seemed good to him to do make one also. Now, he's not implying that all those other accounts are bad, and that he's trying to uh, finally do it right. Rather, he's trying to fill in some of the details, fill out the details and make a more comprehensive account of the story of Jesus Christ. And he does just that. Luke is the longest of all the four Gospels. In fact, it is the longest book in the entire New Testament. He includes many stories that we have only in Luke about the Lord Jesus. And you can imagine, when I tell you what some of these stories are, what it, how different, say, Christmas would be without the book of Luke. Only in Luke do we find the stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. Only in Luke do we find out about the birth of John the Baptist, of the angel's announcement to Mary, of the shepherds coming to Jesus at the, the stable in Bethlehem. That's only in Luke. Only in Luke do we see Jesus as a boy in the temple. Luke is the only gospel which tells us the story of Zacchaeus, of the penitent thief, of Jesus on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. It's only in Luke that we find the parable of the prodigal son. Only in Luke that we find the, the parable of the Good Samaritan and the penitent thief. The, the, the tax collector the, and the Good Samaritan. Probably the most famous parables that we have are found in Luke only. So Luke fills out our understanding of Jesus, especially before he was born and his childhood, but also his teaching and his heart for sinners. But especially, Luke is more comprehensive in the fact that 
His is the only gospel that has a sequel, the book of Acts. And these two books, both written by Luke, both written to Theophilus, are, are to be seen as one. They're two volumes, they're two books, but this one long story, starting with the birth of Jesus in Jerusalem until his ascension, and then Acts picks up at the ascension, starting from Jerusalem, and then tracing the growth of the church out into Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth until we find Paul finally in Rome teaching and preaching. So the book of, of Acts picks up from right from where Luke ends. And with these two books, as Acts is also rather long, not quite as long as Luke, with these two books, Luke has written more of the New Testament than any other author, including Paul. So looking at Acts, we can also understand the book of Luke a little bit better. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, starts like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. That is Luke's own summary of the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. It is about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up. Now, both books are written uh, to this man who we know almost nothing about, Theophilus. Theophilus' name means lover of God. That name is used by Gentiles and by Jews, so it's hard to pick out from his name who he is or what his background was. But from the content that Luke speaks of and focuses on in the book, it seems most likely that Theophilus is a Gentile and that he was probably younger in the faith, and perhaps that he was a man of some means, because in Luke, he says, he calls him most excellent Theophilus. We see Paul using the same title, or the, the same adjectives, when he speaks of Governor Felix at the trial. He says, most excellent Felix. So there's a decent chance that Theophilus was someone of some means or some status, but that he stood in need of his faith being more certain, more established. He needed to know the details, as we do, about the Lord Jesus. Now, whoever it was, we can be sure that this book wasn't just written for Theophilus, but it was written for you and me as well. Just like the books of Timothy and Titus, uh, they might be written specifically for one person at that time, but God intended that it would be for the whole church, for the world. This book was intended for us. And so the book of Luke is written about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That is the content. It is about the life of Jesus. Oftentimes when we speak of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, we speak more of their distinctives. How are they different from one another? But the distinctives are not what's central. What's central is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the story of your Savior, the only Savior that God has given by which men may be saved, the Lord Jesus, his life. And it is interesting, if you think about this, that all four of the Gospels 
include much more about Jesus than just the cross. And when we share the gospel with others, it's often very limited. We begin maybe saying, God has a wonderful plan for you in your life, or something like this. And an unbeliever might think, well, that's, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. But the gospel is more than just Jesus saved, God saves sinners. Or there's sin in the world, Jesus died in your place, trust in him and you can be saved. The gospel is about knowing Jesus Christ, about knowing God through him. And so all of this is important for us. If we began the story of the gospel, if I met somebody on the street and said, do you have a couple minutes for me to share the gospel? Let me tell you about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. He would wonder, what am I doing? You know, if, do you have a couple hours for me to read through this? But the whole of Jesus' life is important for us. That's why it's given to us four different times. And, and Luke is going to show us all of what Jesus began to do and to teach because Jesus reveals God to us better than anything else ever. Better than the Bible did. Better than creation does. He is God himself. We see Jesus. We know what God is like. Remember he said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when we see Jesus, it's God revealing his heart, his love for us. And to, to remember, brothers and sisters, that he doesn't change. This is what God is like today. And so this was important for Theophilus to know. It is important for us to know. The content is about the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, particularly his ministry, his death, his resurrection. But the purpose of Luke, the specific purpose of Luke is given in verse 4. It is that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught about Jesus Christ. The book of Luke was written for you to have certainty, for you to have assurance. The Holy Spirit wants you to know in this book that the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ is not some man-made philosophy among many. It is not based on speculation or legends or gossip or tradition. It is based on solid historical facts. And I mean that that is based on the truth, not in the sense of the modern nonsensical way of speaking of truth. My truth, your truth, this is Luke's truth. That's meaningless. The truth is not subjective and relative. The gospel is objective historical truth. It must be so. Because it's too important a topic for it to be, for there to be any room for doubt. The gospel is not just some nice story that doesn't concern you. The fate of your soul is dependent on the truth of the gospel. So Luke writes to convince, to confirm, to build us up in the truth, to hold up the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. He writes that you might know for certain. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, you may have doubts. Doubts can come in different forms. Perhaps we doubt whether or not we ourselves are Christians. 
God wants us to have assurance of our faith as well. But that is based on the assurance of the gospel itself. Because there are people who would doubt the truth of the gospel. Some people would even doubt that Jesus was a man, that Jesus was even born. Luke writes here to assure us of all the facts that we need to know from the beginning and to make it certain for us that we might be, that we might know for certain. As he writes in Acts of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Peter said this, Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And he writes also of Paul preaching in chains before King Herod in Acts 26. He says, I utter words of sober truth, for the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of this, none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And so Luke is presenting not just Paul's confidence, but he's also presenting to us that these are factual things that have not been done in a corner. They are public, publicly, objectively known. And in this, Luke is presenting to us that Christianity is based not on clandestine events and shadowy rumors or some made-up philosophy, but public fact that we might know for certain that God has made this Jesus who was crucified to be Lord of all, to be Lord and Christ. This is the main point of our passage this morning. Everything in it is written to stress the accuracy of the whole account. And Luke's goal is your assurance of the solid truths of the gospel. So how does Luke prove this? First of all, there is an appeal to sources, multiple sources, and there is this continuity of the message. In the first two verses, he notes of many other accounts, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. He doesn't say this to say that they did a bad job. He writes this down to show the truth, to add to that assurance of it. Many have, have written this down. It's not just Luke. And this, these testimonies are in accord with what the apostles themselves said. It says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So he writes to show that people, he's, he's getting his information from people who knew the facts from the beginning. It is based on eyewitnesses and eyewitnesses who themselves were so personally convinced of all the truth of it that they devoted the rest of their lives to it. It is a great testimony of the truth of the gospel that these apostles, these fishermen, people who at times had been fearful, after the resurrection, they were so convinced of the truth of everything that they lived and they died for the gospel. They became servants of the word. 
ministers of the gospel. And they were eyewitnesses. And that shows these people, they really believe what they saw. They know that it is true. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1.16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this witness will be an important term, especially in Acts. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. And so uh, Luke's gospel is not him digging into uh, to, um, archaeology and reading old things that were written. He spoke to eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses who themselves were devoted to the Lord Jesus, devoted their lives and lived and died for the truth of it. And so Luke here wants us to know that this gospel has been deli- delivered by the apostles to him and that his written word fits exactly with the word that the apostles themselves preached. They would have had the opportunity to read this, to look through everything he did. And so, although Luke is not an apostle, this gospel exactly fits with everything that the apostles themselves preached. Secondly, Luke explains his method. Although Luke is inspired by the Spirit, and if God had wanted to, he could have put Luke in a room by himself and just told him everything, what to write. That's not the way God wanted this to come about. Luke doesn't neglect the use of means and accuracy. So he writes that in addition to his work being based on multiple sources and eyewitness testimony, he himself examined All these things, it says, everything. He examined everything, secondly, closely, with great care, and for some time past. Over an extended period of time, Luke examined, he was devoted to this, to examining everything about Jesus Christ that he did, that he taught, that he might present an accurate, orderly account. So his work was well-researched, It was verified, it was accurate, and it was carefully organized from the beginning. This is not to say that everything is exactly chronological, but that he has taken everything and he has presented it in a logical, orderly way for us so that we might know the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, one of the features of this careful historical presentation is that Luke often presents his work with reference to wider historical details. So he doesn't begin by saying, once upon a time, or a long time ago in a land far, far away, something like that. He starts off with with references to wider historical events. For example, in the next verse, verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. Or in chapter 2, verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now I'm pretty sure that if Luke didn't include this here, 
probably none of us would know who Quirinius was or would care. It doesn't write it so that we would know about Quirinius's public service, but rather so that we see that this is historically accurate and precise. Chapter 3, verse 1, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonensis, and Lysanus, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is here to show us the precision that he has in doing his historical work, to show us that this was an actual, verifiable, historical thing. And this, this continues, that's just the first three chapters, it continues all the way through the book so that you might know that all this is historical fact. A third way that Luke assures us of the, the factual basis of it, the accuracy of it, that you might have assurance is by showing us not just that it's historical fact, but showing us that it was the fulfillment of prophecy. If you look back at verse 1, Luke calls this in the ESV a narrative of the things that have been accomplished. I think better is the term used in the New, Ameri- New International Version and New King James Version where it says, the things that which, which have been fulfilled. For the things that Luke writes is not just a series of events, of historical events that happened in the life of Jesus Christ, but rather the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation for us through Jesus Christ. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was in his hometown. Luke 4 tells us that Jesus was given a scroll of Isaiah and said, and finding the part uh, Finding the place he wanted to read, it said, he read it, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he rolled up the scroll and handed it back and he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In Luke chapter 24, at the end of the book, At the end of his ministry, after the resurrection, he's with two of the disciples who are in despair, wondering what happened. Jesus died. We thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And it's been three days since this, since he passed away. And Jesus said, them not knowing that it was Jesus, he said, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And to his disciples, he said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So, we can have assurance not just from the accuracy of the historical events, but that it all fits 
with God's Word, with God's plan. Jesus knew from the beginning that he was, what He was doing was the fulfillment of God's plan. And all of these things, especially in the book of Acts, they would look back on it and Peter would say, Jesus, you crucified according to God's definite plan and purpose. And so that happens many times as they reflect back on it, that all of this was according to prophecy, according to God's plan. Notice how this is pointed out again and again in the book of Luke. Luke often uses this word, must. This has to happen. He doesn't say, I felt like doing it. This must be done. Chapter 2, verse 49, when Jesus is just 12 years old and he's in the temple and he's teaching and asking questions about Scripture. It's interesting. In the very beginning, the first thing that we see Jesus doing in the book of Luke is he's explaining Scripture. He's asking about it and people are amazed. And the last thing that we see him doing just about is explaining Scripture. And people are amazed. It says 2.49, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? That shows Jesus' own understanding of who he was, who his Father was, and his purpose, his task. I must be in my Father's house. 4.43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Chapter 9.22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and killed and on the third day be raised. Even this, this famous story, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Even his ministry to Zacchaeus was a must. He was fulfilling God's plan for him. Jesus had to go out to the lost to reach the needy. This was his purpose. It was the fulfillment of God's desires. This is why Jesus came, dear brothers and sisters. He came to save. And so this gospel is a message of, of God's love for the needy. It is Luke who highlights most Jesus' ministry to the poor, the disenfranchised, the outcasts, the tax collectors, the shepherds, the sinners. It is Luke who speaks of the shepherds, who tells us of the good Samaritan. Luke who tells us that of the ten lepers who were cleansed and one came back to give thanks, that he was a Samaritan. Luke, who tells us so much of Christ's ministry to women and his welcoming of children, of his seeking sinners. Luke, who tells us of the thief on the cross who put his faith in Jesus Christ and was saved. Now, Matthew has been described as showing Christ's royalty. Mark his power, his authority. Luke, it is said, shows more than any of the others his love. Not just love for man in general, 
but love for individuals. In Luke, much of Jesus' ministry takes place in people's homes, in houses. In Luke, most of the parables uh, are about individuals. Most of the stories are about individuals. God doesn't want to, you to know just that Jesus, he has a great love for man in general, but that he loves you in particular, that his son was sent for you. Luke shows Jesus' loving heart for the lost, for the poor, for sinners. And for that reason, the gospel of Luke is also a gospel of great rejoicing. The angel said this, you might remember this, it wasn't very long ago, we were talking about Christmas. He said, today, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In the first two chapters of Luke, we see the angels rejoicing, the shepherds rejoicing, Zechariah and Elizabeth rejoicing, Mary rejoicing, Simeon and Anna rejoicing. The first few chapters are filled with songs of praise to God for what he has done and what he's doing. Luke begins with rejoicing, and it ends with rejoicing too. Here are the last verses of the book of Luke. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Luke is a, is a gospel of joy in the, in the gospel, in the work of Jesus Christ for individual sinners. So it begins with rejoicing. It ends with sinners rejoicing. But in the middle of Luke, isn't it a wonderful thought? We find God rejoicing. It is God himself who rejoices when the prodigal son repents and returns. And he must rejoice for your brother who was lost has been found. And so he says in three parables, in the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, how there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents. Brothers and sisters, friends, my prayer as we listen to Luke's account of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you will be completely certain that God has made Jesus to be both Lord and Christ and that you would listen in such a way that you might come to him that God himself would rejoice as you return to your Savior. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would give us certainty, that you would give us faith. We pray that you would give us a greater understanding of who you are, what you came to do as we read through the book of Luke. Help us, too, to rejoice that you are a great God and Savior. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.